welcome to this week's Talking Points podcast from the Tron Church in Glasgow. It's a, a midweek conversation about the, the preaching on Sunday, an opportunity to really to let, let the Word of God dwell richly in us. And um, Sunday was a, was a good day, a, a hard one, a hard one to hear, Willie, and I think a hard one to preach. It certainly was, yeah, yeah. hard to preach. Yep. Um, there was there was lots of it that was very contemporary, very striking, hard not to see, not to be really struck by all the parallels to to what is around us. Um, there would there would be some people who would who whose instinctive reaction to um, that particularly to or to Old Testament prophecy of judgment would be surely it's different for us mm. as Christian believers. Mm-hmm. What what would you say to that? Yeah, well, uh, I can understand why we want to think that, but it just isn't how, just isn't how the New Testament uh, teaches us to think, really, is it? And that's why I suppose I began with that verse from Hebrews ten about how you know that it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and our immediate instinct is to think. Oh, but thank goodness I'm a Christian, uh, so that doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, hang on a second, <laughs> this is this is being said to a Christian to church. Christians, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you read Hebrews, although it's a very encouraging letter, it mm-hmm. is encouraging through warnings. Yeah. Um, and the New Testament, you know, when Paul says uh, that all the scriptures are written. To make and are useful to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, he actually means that. He doesn't mean there's some verses scattered about around the place that refer to Jesus mm-hmm. and we can put on our Christmas cards. Hmm. Uh, what he means is the whole Bible is teaching us the same thing and it's teaching us about salvation. And the immediate question has to be, as I said, well, what, what is salvation and what is it from? Hmm. And the answer is from the judgment of God on sin. And perhaps our biggest problem as human beings, but perhaps also our biggest problem as Christians is, as Anselm famously wrote his book about this, is that, that we haven't yet begun to understand the real seriousness and the real sinfulness of sin. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that we find hardest. And that, I think, is why there are so many chapters preserved in Scripture mm. about judgment. I mean, you know, be, our Bibles would be a lot shorter and and thinner if we just had, uh, well, now we're all Christians, we'll give you a brief resume of Jeremiah, we'll give you a brief resume of Ezekiel, because we don't really need all of that anymore. We've got the Gospels, but we don't. We have the whole things. And there are so many things in the Bible that, that press home to um, us. They're long, aren't they? And yeah. Relentless. Long and relentless. And um, <laughs> I'm trying to take quite a few chapters at a time um, because it would be almost unbearable to be having a half a chapter or a chapter at a time on these things because it is so unremittingly uh, painful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it isn't, they're, they're not just preserved in our Bibles to tell us. Um, what past generations got wrong yeah no. it's not it's not just the same as saying well well it's, it's not only saying is it that we are well we're saved from this and 
it's a, it gives us a greater understanding of our salvation. And I think it, it does, because as we understand the severity of the sin that we're saved from, then it makes us all the more thankful. But I think what you're saying was that these warnings also apply to us today as, as New Testament Christians. They apply to us more so, not mm. less so. Mm. That's the reality. So Hebrews says, you know, how then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And um, uh, the whole message of Hebrews 12 is that, well, this is, this is, this is what's so obvious in Ezekiel, that the judgment is, this is Jerusalem I set in the center of the nation. You have been given the height of privileges, but therefore you have a very great responsibility and therefore you are more responsible than all the nations around you. And the message of the New Testament is we live in the end of the ages. God has spoken his final word mm. to us in his son. In the, in, in, the, in the past, in many ways, in all kinds of ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. How shall we escape then? And that's why Hebrews then consistently is saying, you know, you have got to endure. You've got to keep going. Don't you turn back. Don't throw in the towel. Don't, don't give up. Um, because you've been given so much. You must steward that. So, yes, the, the, that's the real bite. If there's warnings here, very deeply troubling warnings for God's people in the former days, the warnings are even sharper for us. And, and just such a danger of all kind of resting on our on our laurels um, as, a, as a culture, as a Western culture, as a Western church, that actually if the, if the judgment of God, the, yeah, the judgment of God on us if we are not truly penitent is is going to be worse than what he did to Jerusalem and worse than what he did later to Babylon who judged mm. them. Yes, we need to be careful because um, obviously uh, it's wrong to think of any particular nation of the world today as being parallel to Israel um, in the Old Testament because Israel was uh, the church and the nation mm. all in one. It was God's chosen people and God's chosen place under his divine rule, his kingship. It was an earthly manifestation of the, of the, of the kingdom. And under the new covenant, that has gone out to all the nations, um, which doesn't mean less. It does mean it means more, though. It means Christ is king in every nation. And where, um, although no nation today is equivalent to Israel, there are nations and parts of the world which have been given disproportionate privilege over the centuries. And in terms of, well, Israel had the oracles of God. Yes, exactly. We've had the word of God in a way that, um, you know, some parts of the world have not. Um, and so regardless of what we might think theologically and, and so on, the fact is that many nations of the world look at what they think of as the Christian West. Mm -hmm. And therefore to them, what happens to the Christian West uh, is inseparable from the fact that it's tied up in some way with, with Christianity. Now, that may all be some degree confused, but that's a fact of life. Um, and, you know, if we think of our own nation, as I said, I was very struck this judgment coming to Israel after 430 years and, you know, in round terms. Well, in round terms, that is... That is the period of history, you know, since the sort of mature, maturing period of the Reformation, the Bible in English, the the modern formation of the institutions and the and the structures of our of our nation. And I'm not making a direct equivalent, but there are just 
um, a lot of things there that make you think. Mm-hmm. And it's sobering, I think. Yeah, it's very sobering. And is that just, is it, you know, complacency? Is it become too comfortable in assuming that the blessing that there has been in the past will continue? And is it, you know... Have we begun thinking we deserved it? Mm. Um, well, I think there's lots of things, isn't there? I mean, um, Peter in his second letter says that people have always kind of thought like that, really, mm. and still do. And we always think that... Um, we're the exception and the exceptional place and the exceptional generation. We're very, you know, the, the world the world revolves around where we are um, and Europe and America, particularly Europe, I suppose, has been at the centre of the map. I mean, by a world map, where's, it, where's the centre? It's Europe, isn't it? You know, because for half a millennium, that's been the way it is. Everything else has been in relation to us. And that is changing rapidly in our world, but it's still in our mindset. And... Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, a shameless plug for the podcast we did with Richard Pratt, but there was it was just so helpful in mm-hmm. seeing that in many ways we have you know gone to sleep in the West here, and it's it's easy to look around and say oh, what's going on here, but the church the world over is growing, mm. um, yeah. and in Africa the church is growing, and um, yes, it's it's difficult here, but that's. It's, it's that balance, isn't it, between concern for the way things are going here, um, but also confidence in what God is doing the world over and things which we're not so aware of because we don't see it around us all the time. The Lord is building his church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Um, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't withdraw his lampstand from certain places mm. and certain mm. times. That was a message of the, to the seven churches, yeah. wasn't it? And look at Turkey today. Yeah. You know, for the best part of two millennia, there's been nothing there. Um, I can't remember if Richard Pratt said this in, in, the, in the podcast, but uh, in a conversation with me, he was talking about visiting Turkey years ago and going on one of these tours. I um, can't remember where it was. It was maybe Pergamum. And uh, the guide was uh, saying, oh, this is where we this is where we think the church was here. And he thought, that's ridiculous. How can you know that? And he asked them, how did you know that? And they said, oh, well, this is because where the ruins of the mosque were found. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the mosque was, the church was knocked down and the mosque was built on top of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened, wasn't it? And so that has happened in many parts of the world. Um, We think that could never happen here. But that's not true. Mm. And that could happen here. And that doesn't mean God has failed. It means we've failed. Mm. Um, and and th- and that's why it is important to have this, uh, to have a global perspective. Mm. Um, but we've got to live here. Um, yeah, perhaps why the reason why we we think this might not happen here is because we don't spend enough time reading our Old Testament and seeing passages like this where it's you know because it's the same sort of patterns again, isn't it? And if we're not dwelling richly in these sorts of sections of the Bible, then it you know, it could be easy to forget that, and maybe that's part of it as well. Yeah, we need we need a we need a biblical perspective, and you know, when Paul talks to the Ephesian elders about the time he's had with them, they said, "I didn't hide anything from you, and gave you the whole mm. counsel of God." I don't think that means he gave an exposition from you know, the Genesis to Revelation. Uh, well, part of it wasn't written yet, obviously, but you know what I mean. Um, but I think what he meant was. I've given you the whole story, the whole yeah. reality. And um, again, 
what that means for us is not we have to cover every single chapter of the Bible, but we certainly have to not um, uh, avoid um, some of the parts we find less congenial. And, um, and that, that is why we try and, in a balanced way, cover as much of the Bible as possible, because mm-hmm. that does help us to, you know, if, you, if you're covering a lot of the scripture, you're finding the things that come up a lot in different places all yeah. of the time. Because yeah. otherwise it can be tempting to just, um, you know, hone in on certain things and you can get a bit hobby horsey mm. and that you're always speaking about this particular thing. Mm. Folks will, will, will be praying for revival or thinking about praying for revival of our nation, I'm sure. What, what sort of response would you have to that, Willie? Well, um, I mean, it'd be, be a strange Christian that didn't want to see revival. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great um, refreshing uh, of God's word. But uh, these things are the exception rather than the norm, aren't they? And maybe it's what we desperately need. I think we've got a whole th- different things together. We can, we, can, we can tend to think ours is, must be the worst generation there's ever been. And mm. the many generations have thought that. And I think you know, if you look back through British history um, in times past, the Great Awakening in the 18th century, for example. I mean, British public life here was in a pretty dire state. Um, social situation, pretty pretty ghastly in many ways. You could say they were a lot worse than today and, and things were turned around. God can do that. Mm. And of course we want that. Mm. And of course, how could it be wrong to pray for that? Yeah. But um, we do have to be careful about presumption. And that that, you know, that's the... At the very beginning of this passage we were in on on, on Sunday evening, the, the first drama that Ezekiel has is an iron griddle is put up between him and the city, and that's you know what God is saying: your prayers are not going to get through. Mm-hmm. And He'd even told Ezekiel, "You're not to pray," just like He told Jeremiah. So we cannot presume that if we just have the right kind of prayer meetings. Everything will be okay. Yes. Mm. What if God is saying, or that it must be God's will? Yeah. What if God's will is? Around? I'm sorry, I've put up the iron grill because we've been at this for hundreds of years. Mm. And because you were saying it, it, there's a revelation in the ruins. Yeah. You know, when we sang at the end, uh, Boner's hymn about um, not till then uh, will we know how much we owe. Um, there's both sides of that, isn't there? I mean, it's a terrifying picture for those who who know how much they owe the Lord for their salvation. Mm-hmm. But equally clear there is, he's quoting, isn't he, from Revelation 7, that there's people who will only know that. When it's too late. In the terrible judgment. And if we will not hear God's words and his revelation in mercy, we will hear them because his word will accomplish and... and he will be justified. His name. The great message of Ezekiel is that God will vindicate his name again and again. You know, mm. Then they will know. They will know. Then they will know that mm. I am the Lord. So God will be vindicated. Um, but that will be glorious for some and ruinous for others. And, that, and that's you know, it's a very somber message. And mm. that's true, I think, on global scale. I think it's true on the scale of churches and denominations and groupings it's true for individuals mm. it's true in all of these skills it's a, it's a real challenge there for for all of us um i, I was struck we were at the 
international Bible study on Thursday night, we were looking at Acts chapter 3. Um, and Peter in the temple says to them, repent, therefore, that times of refreshing may come. And it's, you know, you were saying there, that it's, it's very well praying for times of refreshing and longing for that. But actually, mm-hmm. there's a place for repentance first. It's, you know, mm-hmm. and not just, as you say, presuming upon the fact that if we, you know, pray hard enough, then that's got to be God's will. But actually, you know, in the temple, they're saying you need to repent because of your unfaithfulness and, mm-hmm. you know, times of refreshing may well follow, but mm-hmm. um, I suppose not Don't always. presume that yeah, they will don't come. Presume, yeah. And repentance often, our penitence is often shallow because it's based upon our sense of our own misery and we want that to stop. Mm. And so we better do something to, you know, try and say sorry to the Lord. And, and, and But the picture in Ezekiel 6 of re, re, the real penitence is, is quite the opposite. He says, they will, um, they'll remember me among the nations where they've been carried captive, how I have been broken over their whoring heart, departed from me. So real repentance is not about feeling sorry for ourselves, wanting things to get better and saying, well, if we do this and this, well, maybe God will answer our prayers. It's actually understanding what we've done to God. Mm. Um, And the truth is when we understand that, any foundation of our thought that God will do something to make things better for us is actually taken away. (laughs) Because when we understand the reality of sin, which is sin against God, mm. if we really understand that, we 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 end up like well, it's Jesus' picture, isn't it, of the Pharisee and the and the publican in the in the synagogue mm. beating his breast, saying, "God be merciful to me, a sinner. Mm. I've no right. Mm. I've, I, I can't expect anything." And it normally takes an awful lot, doesn't it, for our. <laughs> proud hearts to come to that place um, and and well it took utter calamity for Israel to see that I mean there was nothing the exile there is nothing worse than that in the whole history of Israel and and so for us as as, as Christians um, that teaches us something about how our heart attitude is to be to the Lord and it, it's about him and understanding the seriousness of sin not for what it does to us. Mm. Yes, of course it makes us miserable and we mm. are not free and all all of these things. But actually that's in the end inconsequential really. It's a, it's a it's a, it's a blot on the uh, on the majesty of God. Mm. And I think it that's something that's very hard for us to really <laughs> learn and understand, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um uh, that that was in the, the passage in the morning as well wasn't it where Elijah was very much grieved by what yeah just that wasn't it It wasn't just his own personal issues but actually it was the widespread rejection of God that was really grieving him and depressing him Um, and it's easy for us to kind of yeah get caught up in our own issues which you know not to belittle them there are real issues, but yeah, if our mind is wholly taken up with our own selves and our own issues, and we don't really have too much concern for how God is being grieved by the the, the rejection of Him mm. across mm. society and across in the, in the church, even. Yes, uh, I, 
I think that's that's one of the one of the things that was pointed out was in in uh, where it says you know Isaiah, not Isaiah, Elijah gets the reaction from Jezebel. She wants to kill him, and so and and, and most of our Bible versions translate, and he was afraid and ran. And and the whole the whole story then is is pitched wrongly because it's oh I you know he Elijah's done a great thing, but now he's afraid and he's totally changed and he's running away and it isn't that at all it's that he saw that nothing had changed and yes he was exhausted yes he was despairing disconsolate all of these things but it was principally because he saw that even the extraordinary manifestations of what you might call power evangelism yeah um on sinai which is irrefutable like uh when you know in Acts four is it when they, they they heal the man and everybody says well none of us can deny this you know <laughs> but we're going to throw you we're going to reject it and throw you in prison anyway mm. I mean that's a, that's an important corrective isn't it because often we think well if only we could have Elijah and the prophets of Baal and you know people being healed and everything everybody would become Christians and the answer is well actually what it did to Jezebel was make her determined not only to disbelieve but actually to kill Elijah so mm. uh, he 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 is then thinking. Um, Nothing is going to change these people, so I might as well just go and ask the Lord to take me away. Mm. Um, and he's he's despairing about the people, but despairing about them because of their rejection of of God and His covenant, His promise, and everything. Yeah, mm. um, that's that's more of an issue to him than than his own his own sort of personal disappointment. Mm. I think. Well, you get remarkable compassion from the Lord towards him then, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know, this individual servant, servant who doesn't get a, a telling off for that. Yeah, Phil said that, you know, the commentators tend to beat us, beat, beat Elijah up. Um, commentators tend to beat everybody up, actually. I've <laughs> yeah, I've, I've noticed that as a bit of a theme. They're, um, <laughs> they're, they, they, yeah, I think that's probably because not many of, well, I don't know, but a lot of them are, slightly removed from the cool face and the battles of um, frontline ministry, uh, you know, sitting in university, ivory towers and uh, libraries and things gives you a different perspective. But um, Elijah's experience rings pretty true to anybody who knows anything about yep. um, Christian ministry, I think. Um, and the Lord is wonderfully kind to him, you're mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't rebuke him anywhere in this story. Even when he's asking him, well, why are you here, Elijah? It's, it's to lead him on and to mm-hmm. actually bring it out of him. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's... Uh, so I'm absolutely uh, with him on that. I remember the very first time I heard Ralph Davis speaking years and years ago. Uh, I'd never met him and I went to see, uh, I went to hear him at a conference because we'd invited him to come and speak at a minister's conference in, in London and I uh, wanted to hear him. And he was preaching on this passage and his title was Shall the Shrinks Win? Um, and he was kind of taking apart all the sort of psychological interpretations of this and uh, it was terrific mm. um, I think this title has been slightly modified for his book but uh, <laughs> probably been slightly sanitised but it was great yeah and despite despite the appearances God, God's word was was still working then um. yeah I think the message to Elijah was um, an encouraging one wasn't it so yeah there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee and the story isn't over I think perhaps he thought this is the end, you know, rather like with Moses. Well, it's finished now, your covenant, give it up. These people have rejected it. And God's saying, no, no, we've still got more to do. And you may not see it dramatically, but 
my word is at work and I don't always do things through mm. immediate fire and mm. prophets of Baal being slaughtered and all of that. Um, and that is important for us because if you're looking only for revivals, like big, big things, big things like what happened in the Great Awakening, like what happened mm. in the 1859 revival, or like what happened at Billy Graham in the Kelvin Hall in 1955 mm. or whatever, and if that's not happening, you think, oh, nothing's happening mm. now. Um, well, not so. The Lord's mm. saying, no, no, no. I don't have to do it that way. There's a steady, ongoing thing in much less dramatic ways, but and it's we, still happening. We need to be willing to be faithful and penitent believers in the midst of yeah. that not being the pattern of our of our nation or of our um, of the church in our our, our country, mm. and being willing to to faithfully look to keep looking to the Lord, and keep keep walking i think that was one of the helpful things that richard pratt spoke about um and you know if you haven't listened to that interview do listen to it when was it richard can you, richard's not even in the room june, wasn't it? it was in june when he was here for our conference okay so, so if you're going back scrolling back scroll back to june yeah um because he's got a global vision and we must have a global vision mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that well the lord's doing finished with us here so mm. we all need to go to indonesia or you know wherever it might be <laughs> or give up or give up definitely not that mm. but what we do need to think about is well what part do we play by living here and working here in god's ongoing wonderful movement and extension of his kingdom all around the world mm-hmm. now for some people that may very well mean well I go to Indonesia or I go to Nigeria or I go to, you know, Morocco or I go to wherever it is. But, you know, the majority of people are not going <clears> to <throat> do that for myriads of reasons. But for those of us who are where we are, we need to think, well, I'm here, but this is not the world. This is a little bit. It's my small corner. And what's God calling me to do? So our, at the very least, I would think our prayers need to be much more global. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps our giving needs to be more global. Um, but also when you think about, well, how does what I contribute where I am fit into the the bigger pattern of the world? And there can be many, many answers to that. So Richard's thing was, I think I can do more for the world by producing materials and training materials, which we can disseminate right around the world. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. It takes an extraordinary person like Richard Pratt to, to do that. Most of us are not that. But there might be one or two of us who've got things that we can do on scale. Um, but all of us have got something we can do. And if we're thinking, how does this fit into the worldwide picture of the gospel? It's probably not a bad place to start. Uh, and there are often people from around the world in our church services. More and more. Needing yeah. needing a welcome and... A cup of tea. Cup and, of tea, hospitality, yeah. encouragement, conversation. Um, and perhaps they'll end up back um, elsewhere mm-hmm. across the globe. In a church like ours, where we have a big throughput of people, because we have students constantly coming to the city and young workers coming, staying for a few years and moving on, um, we're very, very different from a church in, you know, rural Aberdeenshire or, um, you know, out in the country somewhere else or, or, or whatever, even a suburb. And so we need to be thinking as a church, well, what's God given to us? Where's he put us? What's our responsibilities? Yeah. And, um, you know, we try to do that, I hope, for example the Release the Word programme, we're, we're trying while well, we've got uh, students and youngsters here for a few years to say, well, we want people 
who leave here to be in a position to go and serve in another church, to lead things, to know what they're doing and so on. Part of our, a big part of our job is to, is to do that. Um, and there's lots of other things, but each of us needs to think about that sort of thing. And there's great freedom in that, knowing that, you know, it's not on us to bring about revival and it's not on us to, yeah. to go out and reach a thousand people, but actually God has put us where we are. And if our role is teaching Sunday school once a week and it's um, ministering to our colleagues in the office and being a witness there then wonderful and we can we can all do that and play our part in that and mm. you know God has been good to us in that you know we have seen people coming to faith in, in our midst and we've heard stories and there's been videos of them and it's it's really encouraging you know regardless of whether it's a thousand or if it's one it's there's rejoicing in heaven and mm. there's rejoicing here and that's mm. a great mercy of God as well. Mm. Yeah, and it's quite a relief, isn't it, to realise that we don't have to know how to run the universe because mm. we know the one who does. Yeah. And we don't have to know all the strategic outworkings of everything. I mean, some of us have got to, obviously, those in leadership in a, in a church or an organisation have to try and their best to think strategically rather than just randomly be chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, you know, we don't know. And each of us, if we're faithful in what God puts in front of us, and if we're asking every day, Lord, help me this day to, you know, live for you, um, we can trust the Lord to put the jigsaw pieces together and and, and to use these things. Um, it's like, It's always a good thing to kind of remember I am not Almighty God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't solve the world's problems. Well, what I can do is listen to the Lord and ask Him how to how to you know live today as uh, as I'm supposed to live for Him. And um, you know, I think if we can do that, if we just remember who we are and whose we are, uh, it's not so complicated. And um, you know, I think it's quite an encouraging thing, really. And I. And a great place to finish this conversation. Thank you for that. Um, We'll be back again next week. I mean, when I say we, I have literally no idea who will be in this room. Um, What we collectively know in this room is that we think Josh is preaching next week, but we don't know what on, so watch out for the update on that one. And uh, Willie is preaching next week, God willing, uh, on Ezekiel, at least Ezekiel 8 and possibly Ezekiel 8 to 10. Would that be fair? Yeah. The next section is Ezekiel 8 to 11, but I don't think we can do all of that in one. But if you read through that, you'll it's have a good very helpful to read Ezekiel in advance because it's less familiar than one yep. Kings yep. or almost anything else. Um, well, thanks for joining us for Talking Points. Until next time. Mm-hmm.